The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and even some troublemakers who are there. <laughs> and anybody else I may have missed, too. The Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, and uh, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. And by the way, that is not a derogatory term. That is a term that's found in the Quran where they talk about those who hold to the book. I, and I do have Muslim friends. I do. Um, so I'm not using that in any kind of a derogatory sense. If you want to check us out online, go to Sons of Liberty Media, or excuse me, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com. Or SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. If you head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio. You can scroll down, and on the right side of the page, you'll see that we are streaming live here, the second video down. The one above that is Bradley. He's on at 3 p.m., but if you click the play button, you can watch his show from yesterday. He was feeling a little... A little rough. I had to call him and check on him because uh, he had done a lot of he's done a lot of driving in the, the past few days, going from Michigan to Ohio, and now he's they're down in Tennessee. So uh, you know, those things wear on the body. You know, no matter how much the spirit is willing. But if you'd like to join us, you can click on the video here. You can join us in the chat if you'd like to do that. You can see the face that's made for radio right here. Then you can do that. And then if you scroll up just a little bit further, you can subscribe to our newsletter. We don't email or we don't spam you. We don't rent your email. We don't sell it. You get one email from us. That's it. One email a day. And that gives you all the articles that we have for Sons of Liberty. Me, my, uh, me Bradley, and also uh, our contributors that we have at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Also, while you're at SonsLibertyMedia.com, if you agree with the message that we have, it is not politically driven. Although politics are involved, I'm not denying that we have to deal with that, but we stick to the Bible and the Constitution. That is the straight stick that you lay beside the person asking for your vote, the person voting on your behalf, the person representing you, the policeman out on the street, or whoever it is, we hold up the straight standard of the Word of God and of the Constitution, and we say, you're either here or you're right of that. You got that, folks? The right, you're right of the law, or you're left of the law, or you're lawful, one or the other. So if you want to claim that you're on the right, ask yourself, what are you claiming to be on the right of? The law, that means you're participating in law-breaking. If you're on the left, you're on the left of the law. You're in participating in law-breaking. We want to hold the straight standard, which is not ourselves, but it is something outside of ourselves, and so that, if you agree with that message, there's a donate button at the top of SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. By the way, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, not that we don't every day, but we're going to talk about that concerning the COVID nonsense that's going on. There's a donate button. We have needs. We do our thing and trust the Lord to provide. So if you, if you have the means to do it, you want to do it. We don't want you going in debt. We don't want you, you know, giving away all your livelihood or anything like that. But if you'd like to help us... In what we're doing, both on the radio, on the internet, and out among the people, there's a donate button there. You can click that, make a one-time donation. There's also a way where you can partner with us as a son or daughter of liberty. That's also at the top of sonslibertymedia.com. Click on that. You can set that up monthly for whatever 
you know, uh, amount you want to give to the Sons of Liberty, and you'll be able to do that as well. Also, finally, there's the store. Some of you guys who are watching by video, you see that intro that leads up to the radio show. There are products in there that start are great conversation starters. They make great gifts, and there's some equipping tools in there too, uh, books and CDs and and videos and things of that nature that help you to get out among the people and to drive the truth towards glorifying God, restoring the republic, bringing back justice, which guards our liberty. And that's what we want to do. And real quickly, before I bring on my guest, and we're going to have at least maybe two guests in, in a way, because I just got a phone call from somebody and who, who is a big fan of our guest. At least that's what she told me. <laughs> just want to show you guys. You, you guys were asking. I, I put some things out because over the weekend my daughter got married. So, um, you know, I'm dad. I, I gotta, I gotta do some of this. So, so this is a small photo of the newly happy couple who were married over the weekend, Mr. And Ms. Troy Quinn. We want to uh, offer some congratulations to them. And also it's my daughter Haley's birthday. She turns 17 today. And uh, by the way, dad didn't dress up too bad either. did? And, and look at mama. She, she looks happy over, over the things too. Just wanted to show you guys that, that, that I do clean up pretty well uh, in, in some capacity or, in, or another. In any case, what I want to do is I want to take time and uh, open up with welcoming our guest he's not new to the show he's been here a couple of times and one one he did on on the on just the 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 very moment that almost that it happened uh came on with uh, dr carrie midday and uh, kate shimarani and dr kevin corbett is dr andrew kaufman he's a natural healing consultant inventor public speaker forensic psychiatrist and expert witness he completed his psychiatric training at duke university medical center which i help build some of the apartments that are around that uh, area up there in Durham. After graduating from the Medical University of South Carolina, he has a BS from MIT in molecular biology. He's conducted and published original research and lectured, supervised, and mentored medical students, residents, and fellows in all psychiatric specialities. He has been qualified as an expert witness in local, state, and federal courts. He has held leadership positions in academic medicine and professional organizations. He ran a startup company to develop a medical device he invented and patented. And uh, it's my great pleasure to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Dr. Andrew Kaufman. Good morning, Dr. Kaufman. Good morning, Tim. It's uh, great to be back. And I have to uh, comment that your uh, opening music in the intro really helped uh, jumpstart my uh, brain thinking this morning. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's for your choice. Yeah, that and the coffee, eh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, listen, we already have some people online. And I know one of them, uh, we had her on the show twice. She She spoke about uh, some of the bioweaponry. Uh, she has some knowledge of that. Uh, serving as a spinal surgeon and also in the Navy as a as a doctor. And uh, I know that she complimented you very well on you're a smart guy, super smart guy. And uh, But she has a hard time wrapping her head around one particular thing. And so I don't want to keep her online because she got up early this morning to make this call. And uh, this is Dr. Lee Merritt. So if you don't mind, I'd like for her to be able to ask her question of you. So Dr. Merritt, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, sure. You're on with Dr. Kaufman. It's real. It's real early here. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm here. Uh, Hey, yeah, no, Dr. Kaufman, thanks for taking my question because I just, I'm not, this is above my pay grade on biochemistry and all this virology research, I I have to say. But, you know, I look at these, when it first all came out, you know, I I read, I read these articles and I, I read your position paper can you just explain to me what you know, like, and I and I in like in 2019 when they came out and they said this, uh, there were some people in China that came out and they said, oh, they found this novel coronavirus from pneumonia isolates. I mean, they they take they it sounded really sciencey and all good. They took all this this juicy stuff out of the lungs of people dying of COVID or this new disease. They centrifuged them down. They did all these things. I mean, and and they did mention Vero cells, and I said, and I heard, and I read about the point you said that when you see that, that that's a red flag. Can you break this down for me so I understand this? I really, what's wrong with what they did? I mean, I don't get what I don't get what's not happening here, and I and I see also the 
you know, the NIAID puts out these electron microscopy photos that look like this uniform viral thing. I mean, they've got me fooled. I, I guess I, I, I'm willing to believe you because I don't believe them just on philosophic basis, but I don't understand what they're doing wrong quite, if you could explain it to me. Sure, I'd be happy to. And let me say, uh, Dr. Merritt, I'm familiar with your work and uh, it's uh, really an honor to have you on with me this morning and uh, to have this uh, discussion. Um, and I just want to also refer people, and Tim, I, I think you were going to mention this, but uh, Tom Cowan, Sally Fallon, and I put out a statement on virus isolation that's on my website and Tom's. And um, uh, so far, almost 6,000, uh, sorry, almost 7,000 people have signed on in agreement with the statement. And we tried to break it down so that anyone could understand it, because we really feel strongly that once you can decipher the language of the virologists use in their papers that it's really uh, um, something that anyone of average intelligence can understand. I'm going to try to lay it out here, um, but we put a lot of thought into that. So please, you know, follow up after this discussion and take a look at that so that you can see, um, you know, kind of get a second time into the material and help clarify some issues. But essentially what we're talking about here is that there's a claim that a brand new organism, right, was discovered. And then there was an additional claim that this brand new organism has caused a disease. So we just have to step back a minute and think, you know, as humans, how do you go about discovering something new that's never been discovered before when it's a physical thing, not like a, a principle or a notion or an idea um, but an actual physical material thing that we're talking about here. And there's a, you know, a very rich description in all the textbooks about what viruses are, that they are these uh, particles that contain genetic material and they invade into <clears throat> organisms, into their cell, take over the cell's machinery, reproduce itself millions of times over, cause the cell to explode and then spread around um, to other cells and to other people, um, causing the illness. So if you were to go about to discover a new organism, you would basically go into nature, wherever the potential source of that is. So like, for example, if you're looking for a new jungle cat in the Amazon, right, you'd have a specific idea, you'd go to the Amazon and you'd look for a specimen. And when you did that, if you were lucky enough to find this new cat, and maybe this is how the jaguar was discovered, in order to study it, you would take the specimen, you try to even keep it alive, and you'd bring it back to a laboratory where you could do further experiments. You could um, observe its behavior. You could um, then uh, later on, uh, if that, when the animal dies, you can dissect it. You can see what it's made of, what its anatomy looks like, all these things. And the same would be really true for any uh, discovery of a new organism and including viruses. So if you did an experiment where you took people that had, you know, a disease that you couldn't figure out what was the cause, you thought there was a, a new cause, you could take specimens from that person. And, you know, they did do this part, right? So they had people with pneumonia that they didn't know what was causing it, but they didn't actually really look too hard for other causes. Um, they kind of went to a virus uh, very quickly, and they did take lung fluid from these patients because they had some form of pneumonia where the symptom was in their lungs. But if you wanted to discover a new organism, what you would do is take that lung fluid and you would pull, try to separate out the virus particles directly from that specimen um, because that's the source in nature, right? Is the sick person, you suspect there's a virus there, so you pull. Um, a, a specimen from the sick person, and you should be able to purify and isolate the viral particles right out of that. And um, there are methods that are well established. They've been around for at least since the 1940s of doing this, and they do this successfully for other types of small particles, such as exosomes and bacteriophages. But not once for this uh, supposed novel coronavirus have they ever done that procedure at all. Uh, so they've never pulled and purified or, or isolated, separated virus particles from a clinical specimen of a sick person. Um, not, not only has it not been done, but it's never been attempted. Instead, what they have done is they follow this procedure that was developed by John Enders in the 1950s, where they take the clinical specimen 
and add it to a cell culture of foreign cells. And you had mentioned Vero cells, which are monkey kidney cells. And they add this basically fluid from a sick person, which has lots of different materials in it. And including like the bacteria and fungi in your lungs, as well as human material. Um, You know, when your body is putting out fluids, it's to expunge something that it doesn't want. So it could be breakdown products of tissue. It could be toxins that cause disease. It could be a lot of things. And you're mixing all these things in a foreign cell culture and then adding other toxic materials to it like antibiotics, and they often choose antibiotics that are specifically toxin to kidney cells and using a kidney cell culture. They also add other sources of biological material, such as uh, blood products from fetal calves, and which can contain, you know, the same kind of particles that would be in the lung fluid. Uh, Because if viruses exist, certainly they exist in cows as well as humans. And then you have the foreign cells, which if viruses exist, would also be a source of viruses. So you're mixing all these different sources of material together. And then, of course, since all those materials are toxic, the cell culture will start to show damage to the cells and they start dying. And when dying cell, when cells die, they put out all kinds of particles. And this is well established in the literature if you look uh, up about the cell dying process. Uh, you'll see lots of examples. So they're essentially just showing particles of damaged and dying cells under the microscope when you see those pictures. And they don't show you this because you only see the finished product. But one, they're not looking at just particles because they never actually do the centrifugation to purify it. They might do other types of centrifugation to separate uh, um, some things, but they don't do ones like it's called a density gradient ultracentrifugation. That's how you actually purify the particles out. And that's not ever been done in these experiments. So if you, you don't see that when they look through the microscope, they see all kinds of cell, cells that are from the culture. And then they see all different kinds of particles. And they hunt around and find ones that look like a coronavirus is supposed to look. And then they show the picture of that but they never purified out those particles where you look under the microscope and that's all you see are identical particles that are homogeneous. And that would be evidence of an actual entity that you could then further test. So when they show these, um, you know, pictures of dying cells, it, it really doesn't show anything at all. And in fact, in one study in Australia, which is, I think called something like the rapid identification and sharing of a novel coronavirus, they didn't even see the right kind of particles with the little knobs on them, the so-called spike proteins. So they had to actually add a digestive enzyme called trypsin to the mixture and then looked at it under the microscope again and then saw the knobs and said, oh, there it is. So in other words, they had to digest proteins to make it look the way that it's supposed to look. And then they could say that's what it is. But that's not you know, how you identify something that's kind of like, you know, uh, taking a, um, a cat and putting chicken feathers on it and calling it a cat. So really, if you think about what I just said, you'll see that no experiments were actually done at all that could, could even possibly identify or show a new virus. You just have this tissue culture experiments that you could basically take anyone who was sick and put fluid in the cell culture and get the same results. Dr. Coffin, let me jump in before I see if that answers uh, Dr. Merritt's question here. One of the things that I I watched uh, you and Dr. Cowan respond to your interaction with uh, Dr. Judy Mikovich. Was she in uh, Plandemic? Was that the video that she was in? Yes, uh, Mickey Wills documentary. Okay. Uh, she was in in the first part of that. Okay, I, I'm going to put the videos up so they can so people in the archive so people will be able to see both interactions. Uh, but one of the things that Dr. Cowan he broke it down so easy. He says, you know, when you when you do these things, you you spin them out. I guess you've got a, some kind of a centrifuge, and it it separates them into kind of 
my understanding was kind of lines for the different things that are being separated. I guess weight does that or something. I don't understand how it all works. Well, it's density, but okay. actually, no, if you allow me to share the screen, sure. I can bring up a, a couple of slides. All right. Let me, let me do that right quick. Hang on just one second. I should, I should do that anyway. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> uh, I think I have a sharing thing. Yeah. Okay. All participants and everybody can do it. And uh, you should be able to do that now. See if you yeah, can do that. It is letting me do that okay, now. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna share now. All right, can you see that slide? Yep. Okay, great. So this just goes um, sh illustrates the proper way that you would isolate a virus. Uh, the experiment, in other words, that hasn't actually been done. And so you see, if you start in the upper left corner. You're collecting the fluids from a sick person, and then uh, you filter them as we go through the arrows. And then when you get up to the right uh, top corner, that is the process you're talking about. It's called density gradient ultracentrifugation. I know that's a mouthful. But what it does is you see the test tube on the left. They put in different concentrations of sucrose. And this is just like when you, you know, get one of those fancy shots where they layer the liquors in a shot glass. Um, because the denser ones go to the bottom because they have more mass in a given space. Okay. And, uh, you know, this is just like why some things are heavier than others uh, because they're more dense. And when you put your sample on the top of this uh, sugar solution, which is the density gradient, and spin it at very, very high speeds, um, you can see the test tube on the right. The material separates by density. And this little, oops. Uh, this little dashed line at the top in that yellow area, or sorry, the, the other dashed line in this pink area, that would be like one band of all the things that have the same exact density, like, like the particles of a virus are said to be. And so when you do that centrifugation, you can actually put in a, like a needle and grab just that band, just that liquid material, and it should have all things in it that look the same. And if you look at the bottom right, that's a microscope image of bacteriophages. And there are other nanoparticles that they say, they describe them as viruses of bacteria. And you see that when you look at these slides, since they're purified, all you see are those phages. And you see everyone looks identical. And those are the only um, particles that you see in the sample. Okay. All right. Now, Dr. Kaufman, uh, Dr. Cowan took it and he said basically what they were doing was he was using the metaphor of coffee and he wanted to see yeah. whether it dealt with, you know, heart issues and stuff like that. And so he says, well, we gave the people coffee, but they didn't, uh, or no, caffeine, I'm sorry, caffeine. And so they gave people coffee and then he explained there's all kinds of things in the coffee. So you have to, you know, do this yeah, procedure exactly. to get it down to caffeine. And then once you do that, if you give that to the people and there's a reaction, then you can then you can honestly say, okay, the caffeine is what's doing it. He says, but basically what they're doing is they they get caffeine and then they chunk in all kinds of stuff like I don't know chocolate or fudge or all kinds of things that might have some basic compounds that are the same, and they kind of dump it in and they say, well, this is caffeine. And I think that's what you're you're pointing out. They haven't isolated out what they're claiming is SARS-CoV-2. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, Dr. Merritt. Does it, does some of this answer your question? Well, it makes a lot of sense. I get, I, and I don't want to bore your audience with, with technical <laughs> questions, but it's just like my problem, I guess, is just having the knowledge to read this literature. But if you look at, I'll tell you what I'm looking at. This came out in 2019. You know, we're kind of right at the outbreak of this thing. I was just trying to find the author. It's like it's a it's Chinese people from so it's Naju PhD and Jing Zhang MD. You, you know, and it's it's basically the novel coronavirus from patients with pneumonia in China in 2019. And what here's what they say, and it kind of sounds like what you're saying, but they may not be doing it right. I get I get that, but it, it says they take fluids in sterile cups to which virus transport medium was added. Then they were centrifuged to re reduce to remove cellular debris. They took the supernatant. They inoculated on airway ep epithelial cells that were confirmed to be pathogen free. And then it goes down here later. You know they grew it. They added buffered phosphate, buffered saline. And then to get to the electron microscopy point, they said they took the supernatant from these cell cultures. 
they inactivated it with paraphernalia, and then it does say they they um, they did an ultra centrifugation. That's where this where did it say this somewhere? Um, well, let, let me while you're while you're looking. Just, that's, I'm just trying to figure out where where they went wrong here, but I I, I mean, maybe yeah. just be too that's okay, Doctor Merritt. I can explain. But it just sounds good, and I think a lot of the stuff that we're seeing with COVID, it sounds right, kind of like the science of masks that mm. they want to push on us, but it isn't right. You yeah. know, that's what I'm I'm trying to understand. On Doctor Kaufman, before you answer her, Thanks. let me let me play just this small little clip here. This is the guy. Dr. Wu Zanyu, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, he's the head of the Chinese Center for Disease Control. Listen to what he has to say. Why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate the virus. That's the issue. They didn't isolate the virus. Dr. Kaufman? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what he means with that statement being a little bit out of context. But what we have here is really that there are two um, definitions of the word isolation. There's the definition that everybody knows, which means, you know, to separate from other things. And then there's what's called viral isolation, which is, you know, the opposite of that, because you take what you think has the virus in it, which is the, you know, sample of fluid from the sick person, and you add it to other things. So what what's wrong with what Dr. Merritt was talking about is that they took the supernatant from a cell culture of foreign cells that had all kinds of other biological materials that that have particles in them and could have viruses if viruses exist and you're mixing them all together and then taking it from that so that doesn't make sense you would take it directly from the clinical sample you wouldn't grow it in a cell culture with other sources of contamination now they say that there are virus free or pathogen free but that's not really accurate because the way that they determine that is they do some PCR tests for several known viruses. And mm. then if those tests are negative, they say that it's pathogen free, but they don't test for every known thing. And also all of those are PCR tests. So we know that they're not accurate or meaningful in any way. So really, we don't know uh, what's in the sample. And the centrifugation that they're doing is not density gradient. In other words, it's not um, done to, okay. purify, to completely purify any particles. They're doing it to just get rid of big clumps of cellular debris and such uh, so it doesn't uh, clog up their sample later. But they, every image that they show always shows cells and particles. They, if they publish an image that only shows particles, it's basically zoomed in so you can't see the cells um, in the microscope field. All right. Does that, does that help, Dr. Merritt? Yeah, that does. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, we appreciate your work. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we appreciate your work, and we're looking forward to having Dr. Merritt back on. Thank you for calling in, Dr. Merritt. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. Take care. Tim, there, can I just Dr. Merritt. add one yeah. thing to Please. follow up on that? Please. Um, you know, I just want to say that I know that this stuff sounds kind of confusing when you first get into it. And I think you might need one to two hours of really examining the material and studying it before it really gels. You know, I'm not saying like, uh, you know, it's easy that a fifth grader could understand it, um, you know, in five minutes. But the the thing is, if you start looking at all the other scientific evidence, like, uh, mortality data, for example, or causes of death or, you know, evaluation of masks and all of that kind of stuff, what you find is all statistics. And, and you know, no, it's not a hardcore bench science uh, type experiments. It's data that has lots of numbers. There's lots of error in reporting of the numbers. And you have to do fancy statistics to make any conclusions. And often you can do this and interpret the same data set in opposing ways, right? So you could say there is excess mortality or there's not excess mortality looking at the same exact data. Um, but you can't explain it. And but if you look at this virus issue, and you have to know that every single thing that's happened in the world in the last year is all based on the allegation or the claim that there is this virus causing disease. And the question of whether the virus exists or not is one that you is a yes or no question. You don't do any statistics. There's no judgment call. Uh, once you understand the experiment, 
you'll see that it couldn't possibly prove the existence of a virus. So from that, you realize there is no virus. And so any other data on masks, on mortality, anything else, you already understand now. Because if there is excess mortality, you know it couldn't be because of a virus because there isn't one. Um, You don't need to know if masks work or not because there's no basis to use them if there's no virus passing between people. So if you spend that one to two hours trying to really understand this, it will help you understand everything else instantly about what's going on. And also you won't be fooled when they come out and say that there are variants or mutations that are causing more illness, because you'll know that that's also false. And so you could perhaps reason that, I wonder if the people who are dying have the vaccine, could that be causing the death? Um, Did they just turn on 5G in the city where they're reporting deaths? Could that be causing it? And you'll have a much better understanding and be able to make appropriate decisions once you spend the time and understand this fundamental issue. I'm glad you brought that up because I asked uh, Dr. Merritt about that in our first interview that we did. And then she came back and did an, an, uh, an interview showing, you know, her presentation on mask, which is great too. Um, and I asked about the 5G. I said, is it possible they're, they're misdirecting us to this quote unquote virus uh, and when they're when they're out lining up, as she put it, the AK, the invisible AK forty sevens around us through five G, and to me that seemed to make a lot of sense that maybe they're misdirecting us. This is why uh, even the lady who is a clinician, she set up me with uh, Doctor Merritt uh, for an interview. She came back a week later because she said, "I just I don't get what Doctor Kaufman is saying. This this doesn't make any sense. Why would they lie to it? All this other." And then a week later, she's saying, I'm talking with uh, a major doctor she has a lot of respect for, too. And she goes, he's asked for these isolated samples uh, to to get. They've asked over and over from the CDC, and they won't send them to him. I don't know if you've had that issue or not, but i got to tell you, Dr. Calvin, you, you got a lot of callers here, so you want to take a couple more questions? <laughs> I sure, yeah, I'd love to. Okay, now let me ask you this, because we got 22 minutes, and there's some stuff to get to. Do you have an appointment after this, or can you hang over a little bit? I'm just, I'm just trying to see. I, I think I can uh, give you an extra 10 minutes. Okay, all right, that'd be great. All right, this is Joanne. Uh, she's been hanging on from Pennsylvania. And uh, Joanne, you're on live here on the Sons of Liberty. Not Joanne Langley, right? Joanne Langley, that's you. <laughs> okay, that's the Oregon coast. Okay, it says Pennsylvania. Maybe your number was Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm not sure. Go ahead with your question. Okay, so what I'd like to say, my son is a quadriplegic, 42 years going on here. We're using natural medicine. Um, we are basically faith-based, and I've been told by doctors not to even show up to clinic or hospital because he will be killed off. Okay. And you're looking at me like, odd. I have you turned down. Can you hear me clearly? Yeah, I can, we so can hear you. So what the saying and what the pathogen is, now like with my son, he just had a strep, and it smelled like a honey or a, um, but I identified it by smell. I treated it by natural medicine, didn't have to use one antibiotic, just flushed his body out, G2 fed, trach. Didn't even have to see a doctor. He was healed in three days, woke up and go, Mom, I feel better now. So what your doctors are saying is you have to identify the pathogen and treat it from there. We do not need a circus of industry medicine to feed a pathogen and figure out where we go. We treat it. Now, I'm not saying you don't show up at the doctor's office. Of course you do. You do your well-being checks, you do whatever, but you avoid the vaccinations, and we were both vaccinated. It's both in our records. We do not take facts um, because we're uh, pharmaceutical. Um, we can't take antivirals or anything. We're that one percentage. You get what I'm saying? Sure, I get that. But what you're talking about today is spot on, and what you have to know is understand your own body. Go back. Uh, take all the food off your list, reintroduce yourself to foods, figure out how your body works, 
and work from that. But, mm. I mean, for God's sake, if you have a car accident, let allopathic put you back together. Amen. You want to comment on that? Yep. Oh, I think Dr. Kaufman, I think Dr. Kaufman, uh, thank you for your call, uh, Joanne. Dr. Kaufman, I think you would agree with that. You go to allopathic when you're having these traumatic events, a heart attack, you've got a car wreck or things like that. And I think you would be one who falls along the same as our health and wellness expert, Kate Shimrani. You, you take care of your body with the things that God has given us in creation uh, to take care of it with. Uh, I, I think you would agree with that. Um, you want to comment on that? Yeah, well, I absolutely agree that people um, are capable of taking care of their own health and, and uh, supporting our body's natural functions. Um, I would um, disagree on a couple of points. Like one is uh, I wouldn't recommend actually going to your doctor for checkups because um, checkups, the annual checkup has been well studied and never shown to uh, provide any benefit whatsoever. It's right. really a marketing strategy because they get you in there and they're going to find something slightly abnormal, right? Like your blood pressure is high, maybe your blood sugar is a little bit high, and some reason to get further testing or to prescribe a medication. And then that gets you to come back to follow up on those issues. And that's really the purpose of the annual physical exam. Um, I would also say that you definitely talked about the right way to treat like a so-called infection, which is to basically support your body's own detox or cleansing. Um, and there's a variety of ways to do this. Like one of the most powerful ways is just by doing enemas. And they used to use that as a treatment for sepsis and pneumonia, um, even in hospitals before antibiotics were invented. And it's very effective. But the thing is, you're not actually treating a pathogen in terms of like a microorganism that's causing the disease. Uh, you're actually treating um, a something else. And most likely it's caused by toxins and your body is, is trying to purge those toxins and the bacteria and fungi that go to the site of that illness, they're there to help break down the damaged tissue and get rid of the toxic material. Um, and they cause some symptoms, but if you help them out by doing the detox in support of that, they'll finish their job much quicker and then you'll get better quicker. And if you live a clean lifestyle and eat clean food and take care of yourself in, in all the ways that you can learn about, you actually will hardly ever get sick at all. Um, and that's the way we should be going through life and uh, realizing that most of the illness that we see today, in addition to all the environmental toxic materials that we're exposed to, much of it comes from the medical system itself. And uh, by various uh, methods of looking at this, you could actually reason that healthcare, routine healthcare, is it could be the leading cause of death in the United States. But certainly, it's at least the third leading cause of death. Now, you won't find this on the CDC website because they don't look at this. But you can find mainstream journal articles from like the Journal of the American Medical Association, where they report each year. I think it's 168,000 people die just from taking pharmaceuticals as directed, not making mistakes or taking an intentional overdose, but just taking them as directed. And then you can, and that doesn't include chemotherapy and vaccines. So it's a vast underestimate. Um, and then you have another study from Johns Hopkins um, about how many people die each year from so-called medical errors, which aren't exactly defined the way you would think a medical error would be defined. And you combine those two numbers and it surpasses the third leading cause of death as reported by the CDC, which is pulmonary disease. Yep. So, so actually, you know, vaccines, pharmaceuticals and other medical interventions are actually um, a major health risk. And I would, you know, and from my own family, we never go to the doctor. Now, in that situation that you described of trauma of a car accident, you know, I don't always recommend running to the hospital, even in that situation. I think it depends on the nature of the injury. And um, I actually am starting today a webinar series where I'm going to try to teach people how to manage these kind of situations on their own, um, even trauma. Um, and it's for most cases with, you know, relatively minor things, I'm not talking about where, you know, someone's unconscious and bleeding. Of course, then you would seek emergency help. Or if you break a bone and it's sticking out of your skin, I don't think you would want to fix that yourself. But if you have a, a simple fracture or um, other types of wounds that, that uh, are not, you know, 
totally devastating where you need a, a limb reattached or something. Uh, most of those things you can actually manage on your own quite safely and have very good cosmetic results. You don't have to do any stitches even. There's uh, other ways. So um, there's so much knowledge that we have kind of lost about how to take care of these situations. And I think we're, we're seeing a resurgence of this, um, you know, traditional ways come back and they are quite effective. I appreciate you saying that. When I said an auto accident, I actually meant like you're, I don't know, impaled with the steering wheel or something like that. Absolutely. uh, You want help, but that situation, I don't think you're going to survive one way or the other. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and that's sort of what I'm getting at. I'm like you. Uh, When I grew up, if you got sick with what was presumed the flu, um, you couldn't hold anything down. You know, mom and dad's there maybe with a little Coke because that was understood to maybe settle your stomach. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what usually happened. Coke and then toast. And that was it. Try to get something on your stomach and you rested. You let your body fight it off, do whatever it was doing. And you might be in the bed like I can remember three to three days to a week and you still were very weak. You were gaining your strength. But basically it was God had made our bodies and he had designed our bodies in such a way that they fight off these things when we get them. But if we're taking care of our bodies, and a lot of us, look, we are I got a video, I'm going to put it in the archives, that shows us our food. One of the things you were talking about, about uh, the, the enemas, you know, Kate uh, really pitches the coffee enemas for a variety of reasons. And one of those is drawing out heavy metals as well. And I, I watched this video, and it's about three minutes long, showing different kinds of food, how you could tell the real stuff from the fake stuff and what they were doing to it and stuff like this. And it, I, it was baby food. They put it in a um, in a Ziploc bag, and they took a magnet over it, and they drug the whole corner of the Ziploc bag was metal in the baby food. And these things we know tear into the gut. They cause a leaky gut. They cause all kinds of problems in there. Uh, it's it's absolutely incredible, you know, the things that we have. So uh, we lost one of the callers here, uh, which was our RN who contributes at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. But she's the one who sent you the information. And I want to get to that in just a second. But, but I want to ask, but I want to kind of put, push towards this because this is really the reason I brought you on. You guys, you and Dr. Cowan, and I don't know if you want to elaborate on who Sally Fallow uh, Morell is. I'm, I'm not sure who she yeah. is. But if you want to elaborate in just a moment, you guys have this statement. People can find it at your website, Andrew Kaufman, K-A-U-F-M-A-N-M-D.com. We'll have that link up on in the archive. A statement on the virus isolation, and you take from the Oxford English Dictionary as to what isolation is. You go through the process that you were explaining to uh, Dr. Merritt uh, early on in the broadcast, and you come down and you say this, excuse me, from now on, when anyone gives you a paper that suggests the SARS-CoV-2 virus has been isolated, please check the method sections. If the researchers used viracells or any other cultural method, you know that that process was not isolation. Now, let me ask you this. Would this be the process that the CDC, I'm taking it from their own site, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that caused COVID-19, was isolated in a laboratory and available for research by scientific and medical community who apparently can't get a hold of any of these samples. Is this the process they used or did they use something else, Dr. Kopp? Well, they gave the answer right away in the title on that page, which it said viral culture. So that means a foreign cell culture. In other words, they, they're talking about the same uh-huh. exact Okay. All right. Thank you for I mean, answering that. I can that. tell you, Tim, right now, yep. there right. is no paper that doesn't use that procedure. So, you know, when we say if, if the paper talks about a tissue culture, it's not isolation, that really means every single paper. Okay. All right. I appreciate you, you clarifying that. Do you guys hear what's being said? I, <clears throat> I really don't think that it's hard to understand what you're saying. They're, let's break it down very simply. Uh, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong. And I'm not a really smart guy, but I can kind of grasp stuff. You're saying they didn't take <clears throat> and pull one thing from several things. They had one thing and they had it combined with a bunch of other stuff. And that's what they call isolation. Am I right or wrong on that? Well, it, it's even slightly worse than that because okay. they started with something that had a bunch of things in it. And then they added it 
to to another thing and added more things to it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's never, that's isolation. They never, they never once took anything away, you know, except wow. those those brief um, centrifuge steps, which um, you know just remove the large large stuff. You okay. Know. Okay. Kind of right. like when you you know when you when you're sweeping the floor um, in the kitchen, you might first go around by hand and pick up some things that yep. that are, you know stuck or too big to get in the vacuum, right? That's all they did. They never went back and then actually vacuumed and mopped. Okay, so, and, <clears throat> well, and in that vacuuming and mopping, you still collect a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we have a we have a family with oh, ten but kids, you would, and so you would, that's isolating the floor. Yep. Right. When you when you vacuum and mop, you're actually isolating the floor because you're separating everything else from it. And then you just have your pretty clean floor to look at. <laughs> right. And when you're walking around with bare feet, you're not going to step on a Lego that your kids left around and uh, really hurt yourself. And so that's what we're talking about. Isolation. Right. You just leave one thing. And the coffee example that you gave before is is really uh, powerful for people. And I just want to go through that really quickly, if it's OK. And the idea yeah, is we're, we're using an analogy. In this case, caffeine would be equivalent to the virus. So we, ha- we start with coffee. We know that coffee might cause high blood pressure in, in some people, but we don't know what actual constituent in the coffee because coffee is a mixture of thousands of chemicals from the coffee plant. And so if we give you coffee and then your blood pressure goes up, we can't you know, say that that's from caffeine. If we want to see if the caffeine in the coffee is what causes it, what we have to do is isolate the caffeine from the coffee bean, right? So we would do, we would go to a chemistry lab and try to purify it and get just caffeine, you know, in one test tube. And then we might get some other chemical from the coffee in another test tube to test that and see if that causes high blood pressure also. And we probably could do this with hundreds of different chemicals from the coffee. And then once we purify those chemicals so that we have only caffeine in a test tube, we can then test and see, is it the caffeine that causes the high blood pressure by just giving the caffeine to someone and then having a control group that we just give water to. Um, But that would be the proper way to isolate caffeine and show that it exists and causes high blood pressure. But what they do with these experiments, if you would continue with the coffee analogy is they would take the coffee and instead of isolating the caffeine, they would actually add the coffee to other plants that also have caffeine, like tea, right? Or yerba mate and chocolate. All those things have caffeine in it. So we would mix them all together and then give that mixture to people and they get high blood pressure. Now from that experiment, could we say anything about caffeine causing anything? Well, no, of course not, because we have thousands of chemicals in this mix and we don't know which one is causing which effect. And that's what they do in these so-called virus isolation experiments. And there's no way to tell what's what. Okay. All right. I appreciate that explanation there. One of the things that I want to get to, because the Sons of Liberty are about getting to resolve. We're not just about, you know... If you've watched any of this Q cult stuff and Donald Trump and all the stuff, and it continues on even though the man's not even in office, the fantastical stories that people tell, and there's no resolve. There's no justice that's brought. Uh, Donald Trump promised to deal with corrupt politicians, and he didn't do that, and that's why you have a Joe Biden. But we have in this issue... You guys come down. Now, our health and wellness expert, Kate Shamarani, you're very familiar with her. You've done some videos uh, with the uh, Ask the Experts thing. You were on with us on Saturday morning, really early uh, one morning, and we appreciated you joining us yeah. on the I'm on the a fly. Fan of Kate's work, Tim. Yeah, she's, and she's, she's a, so much. And she loves people. She's like you. She loves people, so she wants to make them well. Yeah, people, they make money because you don't do your job for free. And I heard some guy give you a hard time about what you charged. And I'm thinking, well, Dr. Kaufman obviously doesn't come on and say, okay, here's this, this, and this, give me money. Uh, you, you actually go through a thing specific to that patient. Kate's the same way. Um, Dr. Corbett, uh, dealt with people the same way. All these people, Dr. Kerry Madate, same thing. Every time they care about people. Yeah. They have to earn a livelihood. Everybody does. But 
One of the things that you did in this paper, you and Dr. Cowan, and I don't know, can you elaborate, just uh, take a minute or so and elaborate who uh, Sally Fallow Morrill is? Because I'm not familiar with her. Yeah, so Sally Fallon Morrell, she is uh, Tom's co-author on okay. the Contagion Myth, and she's an excellent researcher in this area. And she's actually uh, one of the principal people at the Weston A. Price Foundation, and she has a uh, very successful uh, cookbook, um, which uh, follows the principles of the Weston A. Price. Um, and uh, there's some really tasty recipes in there. I'll have to so, get that from uh, my wife. <laughs> yeah, so she's definitely worth um, looking into uh, for your author. She has several interesting books and um, it speaks on these issues as well. Okay. All right. Now, she's a part of this paper that you guys have, have put for this statement on isolation. Now, I want to bring it down because Kate was asked by the BBC, and I think she was being very uh, strategical in how she answered. They asked her, they said, do you think this COVID stuff is a hoax? And she wouldn't say yes. She said, I see no evidence for it, which I thought was a great answer because this is basically what you guys are saying, except you're a little more forceful. You're, you guys, you're, you're guys. So you're, you're like I am. You, you see what it is and you call it for what it is. I want to show people what you guys wrote here. Uh, you say, shining the light on this truth, and that truth is questioning virology techniques and conclusions is not some distraction or divisive issue. Shining the light on this truth is essential to stop this terrible fraud that humanity is confronting. For as we know, if the virus has never been isolated, sequenced, or shown to cause illness, if the virus is imaginary, then why are we wearing masks? Social distancing, putting the whole world in, into prison, I could add, why are we creating a vaccine? If they haven't isolated something, how do you create a, vice, a vaccine for something you haven't isolated? And then you said, finally, if uh, pathogenic viruses don't exist, then what is going into those injectable devices erroneously called vaccines, and what is their purpose? The scientific question is the most urgent and relevant one of our time, and I'm sure the people who have died after taking these experimental medical device operating system injections would agree with you. We are correct. The SARS-CoV-2 uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus does not exist. Now, those are strong words. You're, you're taking a pretty strong position, Dr. Kaufman. What's being done about it? And you were letting me on, but we had to start the stream as to what you're involved in with there. We've got about two and a half minutes. If you want to tell people, are you are you looking to bring justice against some of these people? Well, you know, for me personally, I think the most important thing that anyone can do is to make the decisions in your own life based on this truth. And don't cooperate with any testing, any masks, any social distancing, any lockdowns or closures. Uh, live your life, you know, as a free, sovereign uh, man or woman, uh, you know, a child of God. That's the way that we are meant to live on this planet. And Amen. we should continue to live. And that's the most important thing anyone can do. Now, some people are taking a lot of steps beyond that. There's all kinds of uh, lawsuits and other um, actions. And uh, one that I was uh, privileged to uh, be peripherally involved in is efforts from uh, Michael O. Bernicia in the UK, uh, who's another excellent researcher. And he has put together a criminal prosecution of members of parliament in the United Kingdom uh, with allegations of uh, fraud, treason, and genocide. Wow. Uh, and uh, I basically provided an affidavit in support of the scientific evidence uh, lacking for uh, justification of an emergency pandemic, um, along with many other people uh, in this effort. And this was just uh, within the last week or two that the charges were actually served upon members of parliament. And so, you know, this may end up being somewhat of a symbolic prosecution. Um, it's hard to say if they can be held to account specifically, but I know people are working on ways to do this. Um, one example is um, there are a lot of sheriffs um, in the United States and, and, and elsewhere who realize that their true role is to protect the individual um, citizen and, and uphold their rights, uh, especially under the Constitution as per the oath that they took. And there are many sheriffs who are uh, agreeing with this and see the injustice of what's going on um, in the world right now. And so one strategy I heard is if a group of sheriffs 
um, and other law enforcement can be gathered together in support of this. They could actually take over a courthouse and convert it to a common law type of court. Okay, Dr. Kaufman, hold hold your thought there just for a moment. Guys, we're out of time on the radio. Dr. Kaufman's going to graciously stay over a couple of minutes here, and I cut myself off there. Uh, If you want to check him out, Andrew Kaufman, MD.com, Andrew Kaufman, MD.com, 23 hours. Be back with you right into the core Wednesday. See ya. Okay, all right, let me cut off the phone lines here. Thank you for those of you guys who, who called, and uh, we appreciate your call. And uh, Dr. Kaufman, I didn't mean to cut you off, but we were at the end of the show. So you want to finish that because I think this is this is pertinent. This is where I, we say at the Sons of Liberty, the people are the solution here. You're talking about the sheriffs. You're talking about people joining in with the sheriffs. Uh, you want to finish your thought there? Yeah, so, well, you know, basically what we have here, you know, if you really look at our legal system, uh, this is very complicated, but really what we have is a, a corporate system and all of the courthouses are part of this big corporate structure. And they're not really there to serve justice in the way that you think. And by taking things into our own hands and understanding really what the law is and how it can work, there are many, many strategies that people can take and people are being extremely successful. Um, there are a lot of people talking about this, um, you know, with respect to the sheriffs, I think people should look into Sheriff Mack and his work. Um, yep, amen. But there, but there are many law researchers like such as Rick Martin, John J. Singleton, Alphonse Fagiolo, um, KL, um, who are all developing and, and actually on the ground, they're providing pathways or, you know, strategies for individual people to deal with situations like, you know, your work is requiring you to get tested or a vaccine or wear a mask. And people using these strategies are extremely uh, successful in dealing with these situations. And I, I think this is really, in my opinion, the best kind of approach because it's based on you taking control of your life and standing up for yourself and not, you know, going and appealing to an authority figure or hiring an attorney and spending all your money, uh, you know, to try to get something done, you're actually sticking up for yourself. And, you know, I recently was working with a parent um, who their child was playing a sport and they were going to require testing. And we had a conversation and talked about several strategies and all that she did was write a letter saying that this is an experimental test because it is, it's not been approved by the FDA and that it would be a violation of the Nuremberg code and the UN treaty on human rights to require an experimental treatment for participation. And simply by this simple communication, the school immediately basically said, we're going to put off doing this testing for a while. (laughs) Good for them. Right. And, you know, so nobody had to take any real action. This was, you know, uh, that that involved a court or spending any money or, you know, getting the newspaper involved. This was just a very simple communication and very, very effective. And this is the kind of thing that people can do on an individual basis basis that will make a huge, huge difference overall. Amen. I, you know, I like to hear that. The way we can solve things is usually usually we can solve them peaceably. And, you know, the Bible warns uh, in the Old Testament, Hosea, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't understand the law. That was part of the thing. They haven't held to the law. But when people understand, they can go and they can, I think they can, they can reason with reasonable people about these things. I think that's a great example that you gave. We've had Sheriff Mack on to talk about, you know, building up the militia. That because our that is a that is a lawful thing. That's what our constitution says. The real law enforcers are the people. They're the militia. That's been demonized, but they are the ones who do it. And it doesn't mean they have to come out with their pitchforks and AR-15s and and all of these things necessarily all the time. But they can they can just use the knowledge and bring that to bear upon people. I've I've done that. I hadn't had to write any letters. I just had to speak about it. I, I was told in a, a North Carolina where they have a, a tyrannical governor up there in Roy Cooper. They're trying to impeach him. We had the guys on trying to impeach him, and I had the people in the store who were wearing masks, and it was the most. Twilight Zone thing I've been in. The lady tells me I've had both shots of the vaccine because I got in the conversation because one guy came in and he said, I had the first one, man. I was sick for like a week and now I got to go back the second one. I said, you better not take that other one if you made it through this one. He was a, he was not an old guy or at all. He's probably looked like he was in his mid thirties. 
But I told that lady, I said, well, if you have that, why do you got that mask on your face? Because they weren't wanting to serve me because I didn't have a mask. And I said, I'm not wearing a mask. Well, we're not supposed to ring you out. There's a law. And I said, there's no law. There's an edict from a tyrant that you should be resisting instead of submitting. And the other people in the store were getting it. Even the lady who was checking me out, but this other lady was pushing it. And I said, why are you wearing a mask if you've been vaccinated? Oh, well, you know, I've got to do it for this, this, and this. And I said, well, that's it. Think about that. Just take 10 seconds. Think about what you're saying, what you've done. And then think about how much propaganda you take in that that puts pressure on you to put that mask on, which doesn't stop squat. And I, I'm wondering, do you find that? Uh, you're you're up in a different part of the country than I am. Do you find that that's really the predominant thing is that people are fearful because of their ignorance of what's actually going on? Well, you know, where I am, it's much worse uh, than North Carolina and South Carolina. Um, in New York, uh, I'm, you know, generally I'm the only one without a mask when I uh, am shopping in public. And, you know, I think it's a mixture. I think that there may be about 20% of the population who is really believes that there's a dangerous virus and that they really are scared uh, for their safety. But I think the rest of the people are just basically unwilling to face the, uh, you know, the social pressure of taking it off, that they don't really believe it's helpful um, or uh, necessary. But that they would be seen as a bad person or a psychopath, as some media have reported, you know, if if they don't wear it. And so they simply go along for, you know, convenience sake. But I'll tell you that that convenience has a huge price uh, because, as you can see, now we're at the, you know, one year mark or past. They're not letting up on any of these restrictions. Um, do you want to wear a mask for the rest of your life? Yeah, well, somebody has, has said they, they wear it for work. You know, I, I would say I would point you to the law. I'll put that in there. It's called the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, you let those people know, hey, I've got a, um, a religious exemption. Maybe it's a health exemption. Uh, for that matter, this person has is asthmatic. So, you know, you can take that. The law is there to protect you. And should your employer want to get rid of you for that, I believe you've got strong ground to bring a lawsuit against that person because, again, and we only have a couple of minutes because I know I want to keep to the time that you gave us. Tim, there's a really exciting new strategy that was just developed by John J. Singleton with respect to this. And what he learned in studying the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is what the lawsuit would be based on that you're describing, is that you don't actually need to have some health condition like asthma to qualify as disabled because the nature of this pandemic is such that you are considered contagious and you being considered contagious qualifies as a disability under the ADA. So (laughs) every single person can actually make an ADA complaint and you don't need to go to the courtroom. So there was already a test case on this at one of those nature grocery stores in the western part of the country that refuses to serve people without masks. And the person simply made an ADA complaint to the ownership of the store based on this definition that I just told you. And they were granted unlimited access to the store. Ah, yeah. See, they don't want they don't want to get their pantsuit off. That's one of the things. They don't want to get that's in trouble right. with the law. And I think that's what you have to do. You have to bring it to. Plus, I think there there is. You, you were saying the assumption that people are contagious, which has never. I, I don't. I think when we talked before, it's never been. Has it ever been proven that people actually transmit whatever their sickness is to somebody else? Has that ever been proven? Am I wrong in that? So. Well, we all know that sometimes people get sick to, together and appear to pass something between them. But in terms of like a germ being passed between people and making other people sick, there has never been one study that has shown that. In fact, the studies, there, there aren't a lot of studies done even to test this idea, but the ones, the best ones that were done were really during the 1918 Spanish flu. And they did studies not only on humans, but also on animals, including horses. And they were super creative in how much secretions they could take from people with Spanish flu in the hospital who were dying 
Um, they took every secretion they could think of that would have infectious material and shoved it every place on these healthy people possible, including injecting it. And not one of the healthy people got sick. And the it's same thing with incredible. the animal studies. Yeah, this is absolutely incredible because this is the fear porn that the media and the lying politicians are telling us. And uh, <clears throat> so with that said, I'm looking forward to what you guys are going to bring about with uh, with your statement here. You've already got, what, 6,600 people, just ordinary people who've gone there. Folks, if you agree with Dr. Kaufman, go to his website, andrewkaufmanmd.com. That's K-A-U-F-M-A-N. MD.com. Go there, click on the Sovi link that's at the top of the page, and uh, you'll be able to sign on yourself. If you agree with, with what they've said, you can support what's going on here. You can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Dr. Kaufman, thank you for your time. Thank you for staying over. And I want to give you a chance just to, uh, to plug your website and what you do for people as well. Yeah, thank you. Well, um, you know, I do uh, all these interviews and all this research. And uh, of course, um, you know, I do all that for free. And so it's important that I have a way to finance this operation. I have uh, three employees and uh, we're doing the best uh, we can to support this work. And so if you go to my website, I have several exciting things. In fact, today I'm starting my new live Q&A webinar series called True Healing. Um, today, I'm going to give a uh, lesson essentially on metal detoxification, and there's going to be new topics uh, every uh, other week, and I'm going to be able to interact with people live on this webinar. So for a very modest uh, monthly fee, you can be a part of this, and it would really help support the work. Um, I also sell a trace mineral product that is harvested and purified in the rock, from the Rocky Mountains in the United States that has a excellent complement of 50 trace minerals called Shilajit Mumio. Um, and so a lot of people have had great uh, success with that um, supplement. And I'll be talking about that during the webinar too, because it's related to metal detox. And of course, I have the statement on virus isolation and some other blog articles and information. And all of my banned videos are archived there including the movie Hippocratic Hypocrisy that um, I collaborated on that was banned from YouTube instantly uh, last May. And um, since then, I've basically been censored on YouTube. So uh, please do go to my website. You can find the links to all of those uh, videos. Okay. All right. And we're going to have that link up for, I, you know, I'm trying to show it as much as I can, but we're going to have that link up in the archive so people will be able to click on it and uh, you can get in touch with uh, Dr. Calvin. You can watch the le- webinar. What time is that today that they can check that out? It starts at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Okay. All right. You can or- go there. And now all they have to do is click the live webinar and, uh, but they have to, they have to subscribe to something. Is that right? Yeah. You, so you have okay. to uh, sign up for the webinar series, but there's uh, still a few hours uh, for today or definitely uh, for next time. Okay. All right. And if you appreciate the way that Dr. Kaufman explains things, then you want to get in on this, especially if you're needing to detox. I think that was your subject today uh, and things. And you know what? I, I wish you guys the best in pushing forward this statement. This needs to get out to the people. So folks, share the information. Share Dr. Kaufman's statement there. Again, we'll have that link up in the archives because this is really, this is not just about Um, you know, big pharma making money or lying politicians making money. It's about control over you. It is about really your life and death. We had the lady call in, you know, if she takes her son in there, he's, he's going to die. And we've did many stories on people who've taken the, the, the injections and they've died as a result. Now, of course, they're not going to say, well, it was because of the vaccine. They're going to push it and point every finger, every which way they want to, but this is about life and death, literally, for some people. So if you want to support Dr. Kaufman, again, his website is andrewkaufmanmd.com. Dr. Kaufman, thank you again for your time and uh, for coming on. Always a pleasure to have you on, man. And you guys, Rotten to the Core Wednesday will be here tomorrow. Lynn Taylor will be joining us. And until then, see ya.